What Jesus Christ did, but do you realize that if you were the only human being on the face of the earth, Jesus still would have died? Because he didn't die for you and I. He died to please the Father and glorify the Father. And the Son said, I will glorify my Father by doing the work he sent me to do. And what did Jesus, what was Jesus Christ sent to this earth to do? He said it himself in his ministry over and over again. I came to die to give my life as a ransom for many. So if there was only one person on the planet Earth, Jesus Christ would have died for that person. Is there a, there a passage of Scripture that would prove that? Genesis 3.15. How many people were on the face of the Earth when Genesis 3.15 was promised? Two. Adam and... And who were the sinners? Adam and Eve. So guess what? If you were the only person, Jesus Christ would have still died just for you. Because he did it to please the Father. And that's what we're here today to do as well. We're here to please the Father. And uh, whether you're all here, mostly here, or partially here, uh, depending on your mental and physical status, I'm glad you are here. I'm glad that you took the effort, you dedicated the time to come and worship the Lord as he's instructed us in his word to do. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as a manner of some is. Are there some today that forsake the assembly? Yes. Were there some in the, the time of Hebrews that were doing that? Yes. How many generations do you have to get away from the, the cross before you find sin? <laughs> None. The generation of the cross still was sinning, right? And you know what? Jesus Christ came to redeem us from our own doing. So this morning, we're going to talk about prioritizing our presence. How many of you wish you could be in multiple places at the same time? Right? I've thought about it, but I'm not convinced that I actually would like that. I'm not sure where I would really be then, right? While I might have physical presence in, in multiple locations, mental presence would be well, I know what my mental presence is in one scenario, right? Imagine trying to subdivide that, right? So this morning, how do we prioritize our presence? And uh, I'm going to propose to you a person that did a pretty good job of doing this in the past. And that person that was able to do this is the same person that invented time. Matter of fact, it's the same person that invented creation, that created creation. Um, he's the creator of all things, both in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it's none other than Jesus Christ himself. Because I want you to think about this. Well, many times we give the attributes of God to Jesus, right? Was Jesus omniscient? There was times he showed his omnisciency. Um, was he all-powerful? There was times he showed... How powerful he was. Remember the fig tree? How did it work out for the fig tree? Didn't, right? How did it work out for the wind and the waves that opposed Jesus Christ? It didn't. He had power over those things. But what about his presence? Did Jesus ever invoke his omnipresence? Hmm. He never did. 
So does that mean he wasn't God? He, he evoked two out of the three. I mean, and all three would be the trifecta. Then we would... No. Jesus made himself like us. Remember the kenosis passage in Philippians? It talks about how Jesus didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, but made himself a little lower than the angels and came to earth and, and took upon the form of flesh. When he took on the form of flesh, what did he limit? He limited where he could be. He limited where he could spend his time. He limited himself to a place, a time, a moment for 33 and a half years. So is it plausible and possible that we could take our Bibles, look at the life of Jesus Christ, who created time, and find out how we should use our time? Isn't that a kind of a, a logical application? So how many of you have done that in your past? Right? We don't think about it. When we think of Jesus Christ, we automatically give him all the attributes of God, and we forget that he was human. He was born of a virgin. We celebrate that at Christmas, right? He came to earth as a human being, and in all fashion is like we are. He was tempted to sin, yet he didn't sin. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He had to do things. He had ministry struggles. Do you know Jesus had ministry struggles? I'm going to show you some passages of scriptures where Jesus was just flat wiped out spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Just wiped out. And, and yet there was more things that could be done. How many of you have a to-do list? How many of you love your to-do list? How many of you love the days that you check everything off your to-do list? How many of you have never experienced that? Right? I'm going to give you a truth here this morning. Do you know that every one of us are going to die with something on our to-do list? Every one of us are going to die with something on our to-do list to do. And you know what? God's not going to sweat it. God's not going to be phased by the fact that on your to-do list are things to do that you didn't do. Think about that for a minute. How many times do we want to get through our to-do list and check our boxes so that we can impress God and impress other people? But God's not impressed with that. But God does tell us what does impress him. The Bible does share with us what motivates God to move to bless his people or move not to bless his people. So let's dive into the word of God this morning. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 5, that's kind of been our base passage of scripture. And since it's been a couple weeks since I've been here, I, I was gone in Kansas City last week. And I want to thank Larry for substitute hitting for me and doing a great job. Uh, while I was gone, it was fun to watch him on the live stream and, uh, and see you guys, even though I wasn't here. But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, God gives us in this passage of scripture a command. The command is to redeem the time because the days are evil. Why would we do that? Well, he gives us the answer for that. So that we can do the will of the Lord. We can do the will of God. So how do we redeem time? We redeem time by looking at the life of Jesus. And we've been pointing out different principles about Jesus and his life that helps us to understand how we too can redeem the time that we're in. We started a couple weeks ago with talking about how Jesus spent time alone 
with his word. Remember in the, when he was 12 years old, we find him in the temple, and what's he talking about? The law, his word. Jesus is impressing or, or challenging, really is the word. He's challenging the mentality of the chief and the priest in the temple. The second thing we're challenged to do is to let our yes be yes. How many times have you told somebody that you're going to do something and then you, you don't do it? That slide's messed up. I don't know what it's doing, so just ignore it. Uh, and then number three, descent from the kingdom noise. Descent from kingdom noise. So get alone, get by yourself, and just spend time with Jesus Christ. Spend time with God. There was nobody in Jerusalem that had more things competing for his attention than Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus always seemed to be able to discern the essential from the noise. You ever notice how Jesus was able to discern what was most important? We're going to look at a couple scenarios here today in which Jesus did some radical things that if he were to do that today, we might even take offense to it. I mean, how could he say no to multitudes who came to him for healing? Yet, did he turn people away? Yes, he did. Um, he had the power to restore all of creation. Yet, he only chose specific people to, to heal and to provide for. Why? He was prioritizing his time. He was prioritizing his ministry. How did Jesus decide what was most important at the time? Isn't it hard sometimes to decide what's most important? If you have people that ever confide in you or ever want advice from you, isn't it interesting that their urgency is always more important than your availability? You ever been there? You ever have people in your life that are just so draining because you're not available when they feel you should be available? That they're more important, their time's more important than your time? We've all been there. Some of us have jobs that are that way, right? You're, you're, you're paid a certain ways, but they want you on call 24-7, right? Uh, they want you to be available yesterday, not today. Uh, you should have known that this was coming before it ever happened. Well, Jesus had a little insight into that, right? But let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 38. We'll read this together and we'll find out a time where, where Jesus struggled with managing time and how he dealt with it. The Bible says immediately after he left the synagogue, he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law laid ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Man, how would you like that sick treatment? Those of you recovering from sickness or watching on TV and you're sick and like you get healed and then immediately you got to go to work. Being hospitable to everybody in the house, including Jesus, his disciples and, and all those. But, but check out who's all there. Not only does she have to be hospitable to the immediate people, but look what happens. Verse 33, the whole city was gathered at her door. How many would like to entertain that? The whole city is now at her door. Verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And after rising very early in the morning, by the way, that shows the power he had over Satan and his angels. We've talked about that before. Uh, verse 35. After rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there did what? 
What did Jesus pray for? How many times when we pray, Father, forgive us of my sin, and blah, da 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 and we go off in this little ditty, right? What did Jesus pray for? God's will, God's direction, his ministry for him to be glorified through his ministry. Doesn't tell us. I'd love to sat in on a couple prayer sessions with Jesus, wouldn't you? What does he and the Father talk about? What would he be able to tell the Father that the Father didn't know? What would they talk about that either one didn't know? Um it goes on and says, verse 36, And Simon and those who were with, it, with him searched for him. Jesus is lost. Does he not know there's people that need his attention right now? So they go on a search and rescue party for him. And they found him and said, what did they say to him? Say it together. How many times do you get that generality when you're trying to be alone? everybody's, do you think everybody's like, well, yeah, they're all at the door of our house the day before. So what do they want the next day? We want more Jesus. We want more of the Jesus show. We want more of this healing. We want more of this consumerism. We want what we want when we want it. So what does Jesus do? Verse 38. And he said to them, let's go to the next town. <laughs> let's not even go back there. Let's go somewhere else that I might preach there also, for that's why I came. I didn't come to heal everybody. I didn't come to fix everybody's problems. I didn't come to make everybody who's sick better. I came so that they could have eternal life. Jesus is not as interested in fixing our temporary problems as he is our permanent problem. That's why some left sick. Some left not healed. Some left searching for Jesus so that they could be healed. The whole mission of Jesus wasn't to make everybody happy. It was to allow them to be holy. That is still the, the ministry that we have today. Pastors can't make church people happy. We can't do it. We don't have the power. We don't have the enablement. You know who makes you happy? Jesus Christ. You know who makes you happy? The Holy Spirit. You know who makes you happy? The Father. How do we know that? Well, you just read in Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is love. What's joy? What's peace? Where does happiness come from? When you have peace and joy in your life, you're happy. When you have troubles, conflict, guess what you are? You're agitated. You're not trusting. You're not depending on the Lord. You're trying to fix things yourself. Jesus says, let's go to the next town that I might preach there also. For that's why I came. That's why I'm here. That's why I came out from where I was. They didn't understand what I was doing. So now it's time to move to another people. So to recap, let me just give you the vision of this. After driving out evil spirits at the synagogue, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law in the house. A bunch of people, her neighbors, come. Understandably, the town hears what's going on, so they all come. And now she's trying to provide for everybody and care for everybody. Jesus is doing ministry out of her house. Jesus finally goes to bed exhausted the next morning, early in the morning. He wakes up, goes out to a place by himself. The disciples come looking for him because there's people that want his attention. And what does Jesus say? Too bad. Now that doesn't sound like the loving Jesus I know. No, this is the Bible Jesus. 
This is the, the, the Jesus of the Bible. He managed time in ministry, not to make people happy, but to make people holy. That's his job. That's what he's looking for. Listen again to his response to the people's request for more of his time. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. For that is why I came out. Where did he come out from? The house in the city. It's not that he came out from heaven. He came out of the city to get away from the people so he could spend time with the Father. There's a whole message by itself. So that now he can move on to another city and spread what he's been teaching. Let me show you that Jesus absolutely understood his purpose, his purpose on earth. And that's what allowed him to take on the big list of things that he could do and prioritize it down to actually do what the, what the Father called him to do. He understood what the real mission was. John 17, 4. Check this verse out. I glorified you on earth. Remember, God loves his glory more than anything else, right? We talked about that in a whole series on the glory of God. God loves his glory more than anything else. So Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Did God give Jesus so that everybody's problems could be fixed? No. Why did God send Jesus? To be the Savior of the world. That's why he sent him. So Jesus was focused relentlessly on doing the Father's will and bringing the Father glory. So how does this relate to us today? What can we take away from this? So many times we get paralyzed with trying to decide where to best spend our time. You ever been there? I've got so many things to do and I just don't even know where to... Right? That's what we say. What are we thinking in our mind? There's no way I'm getting any of this done. Some of us get to the point where it's like, there's so much to do, I'm not even going to try. Right? And we just throw the towel in right off the bat and just act like it's all going to disappear. I came across this quote. It says this, The people on this planet who end up doing nothing are those who never realized they couldn't do everything. The people on this planet who do nothing are those who never realized they couldn't do everything to start with. And you know what? We can't do everything. So we need to stop trying. We need to learn to prioritize the things in our lives that matter. And the question is, matters to who? If you're a Christian, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And God's priorities take over for your priorities. The problem with modern Christianity is this. We flip it. Modern Christianity teaches it the other way. You know what? If God saved you, then he just wants to bless you with all spiritual blessings in high places. And if you just ask for it, you can have it. If you name it, you can claim it. And you can be the best you that you can be because you love you more than anybody else. And while there might be scripture sprinkled all in there like salt and pepper, none of it is biblical. There may be biblical principles in there, but that's not the context in which those verses are given in the Bible. The Bible actually says this. If you want to gain the whole world, what do you got to do? Lose your own life. He who is least among you will be your... He'll be the one that's lifted up in time. The Lord will lift him up. And you know what? So many times, if you just take what the world thinks and reverse it, you get what the Bible teaches. You ever notice that? If you want to be great, give yourself a title. 
What's the Bible teach? You want to be great? Serve everybody. Don't take a title. Do something with it. If, if you're going to demonstrate love, talk about it. Tell people how much they're worth and tell them how much you love them and adore them. Tell them, tell them. You know what the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 13 about love? Love has nothing to do with what you say. It has everything to do with what you do. So many times we can just take the world's mentality, flip it, and we can get biblical truth. But here's why we must decide what matters most and allow those choices to prioritize our life. Because the fact is, not all yeses are created equal. Have you ever told somebody yes and then reneged on it? Have you ever told somebody yes knowing you were never going to do it? You see, sometimes we commit to things that we are never going to do. Sometimes we say that we'll do things that we're never going to do just so we can get somebody off our back, right? Or just so we don't have to do something that we really, in the end, didn't want to do anyway. But let's remember, why are we on the planet today? If God, <laughs> if you ever wondered why you exist, you're going to struggle with an age-old paradigm of man. Why am I here, right? Why, why am I here? God, before the foundation of the world, chose you to live where you are, have the job that you have, and to be doing the things that you're doing right now. Before the world was ever formulated, before it was ever fashioned, God chose you before time existed that you would be who you are today. True or false? True. So then, what are you going to do in your lifetime that God didn't foreordain? So if you didn't have any control over your pre-existence, how much control do you have over your existence? And if you're a Christian, how much less do you have than you would have had if you weren't a Christian? Because you've been bought with a price. So you're in double jeopardy. So this means this. If we're going to prioritize our time and we're going to do it in a God-honoring way, then how much is God going to be a part of that? He's going to be all of it. And if God is helping us prioritize like God helped Jesus prioritize what he prioritized, then we have to ask the question, what are we actually prioritizing? We're prioritizing the will of the Father. We're prioritizing the glory of God. We're prioritizing what God desires more than anything. So how can we be like Jesus? How can we be like Jesus and identify work that matters most and ignore the stuff that doesn't? Well, First of all, a couple weeks ago, we saw that sometimes we just got to get alone with God and be still and know that he's who? He's God. How many times do you think, well, God can't fix this, so I'm going to go ahead and try? They that wait on the Lord will what? Renew their strength. How many are tired? How many are trying to do everything? How many of us are trying to please everybody? Did you know Jesus never tried to please everybody? Jesus was not a people pleaser. He was a person pleaser. Who did he try to please more than anybody else? The Father. Who did he spend time with? The Father. Who did he desire to interact with? The Father. 
We must grasp the idea that the truth is that you and I have the power to choose what matters most in our lives rather than allowing other people to dictate what matters. You look at Jesus' life, there's only one time where perception would say that it looked like people dictated what happened to him. Where would that be? The crucifixion, right? But what did Jesus' own words say about his crucifixion? No man takes my life. I lay down my life for who? Think about that. Even in the act that it looks like other people are controlling the body of Jesus Christ, who's in control? Jesus is calling the shots. He's doing exactly what the Father wants. Let's face it, most people operate under the assumption that other people are more important than whatever's in their own life. Most people are reactive when it comes to relationships rather than proactive with their time and their priorities. You know, we allow people to hijack our lives, don't we? We allow people to come in with their interruptions and, and hijack. Now, did that ever happen to Jesus? Let's be fair. <laughs> yeah, let's look at some of those, shall we? Let's look at, uh, because sometimes we have to take advantage of the fact that we can only be in one place at one time to help other people. Sometimes our agendas that we have, even though they're spiritual agendas, can be derailed by something that God deems is more important. Is that okay? Sure. God's God. He can do whatever he wants, right? That leads me into our, our next point here, our next principle. And that is this. We must accept the fact that, our, that we are a unipresence being. If omnipresence means you're everywhere all the time, what does uni mean? If you ride a unicycle, how many wheels do you have? Right? If you ride an omnicycle, how many wheels do you have? <laughs> I wouldn't want to know how many you would have. Um, there might be some semis that might classify as omni-wheeled vehicles. Um, but they're not everywhere, all, right? They just have more than one. So uni means one. So if you have one presence, you can be in one place at one time, then where you are has to be the most important thing. Where you are is where you're going to be prioritizing and maximizing your time. When the omnipresent God became flesh, Jesus embraced the human limitations of being in one place at one time. Whereas God is omnipresent everywhere all the time, just like us, Jesus could not be in two places at the same time. So when we look at the life of Christ, you've got to realize he operated under the same 24 hours a day, the same seven days a week, the same, just like you and I, he can only be in one place at one time. And yet, how many do you think in the three, three and a half years he did ministry, he did a lot? I mean, think of all the places he traveled. Think of all the things that he did, all the places he visited. But did Jesus have interruptions in ministry? Did he have priority hackers? Did he have events that transpired that were just unprecedented? Absolutely. Check out Mark 10, 17. And while he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit what? And Jesus said, I don't have time for this question. Is that what he said? No, this is the reason he came to earth, right? This is the reason he had to leave one town and go to another because he's there to do the will of the Father and the Father's will is that people might know that they can have what? So what does he do? 
He stops. He begins to work with the man. Man literally threw himself down in the road that Jesus was walking on. Check this one out of Mark chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. When she had heard the reports of Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, what? Who touched me? Was Jesus interrupted in what he was doing? Was that his primary goal, his primary mission there? No. One time, a man literally brought down the house, or at least part of it. They took the roof off the house. Luke 5.17. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, whom he had come... Or, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So this is like a regional meeting. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way in, no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof, let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Can you imagine you're in the middle of like a, a teaching session and all of a sudden, hi, how's it going? I'm sorry, did, did you need something? And when, they, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And one of my favorite things in all the Bible, the guy stands up, he hasn't walked his whole life. He stands up, picks up his own bed, throws it on his shoulder and walks out of the building. How would you like to be the Pharisees there and Jesus looking like, how do you like me now? Right? Remember, they're all there, Jerusalem, Judea, all across the country. They all came. They're all sitting there. How do you like me now? There were times where Jesus welcomed these distractions, but there's also times where Jesus made significant effort to eliminate distractions. Check this out in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. And while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Talk about dissing your family. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. His family comes up and says, Jesus, we have a family emergency. We need to talk to you. We need an intervention. People think you're crazy. And what does Jesus say? Who's my family? Man, doesn't this just blow up the narrative of today in church? Well, you know, I can't be in church Sunday because I got a family thing going on and I got to be there and be a witness for them. What did, just, what did Jesus just say about his family when it comes to ministry? Which is more important? Let's not miss the B story here, right? The A story is, I'm busy doing God's will. The B story is what? Priority of time. The priority of time, given the main point of the passage, is Jesus' words about who is and who is not part of his family. It's easy to miss the B story here. 
Jesus is working. He's talking to the crowd. He's doing the work of the Father that God sent him to do. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. All of a sudden, his family shows up. They're waiting outside. Jesus flat out ignores them. Matter of fact, he ignores them so bad, it takes somebody coming to tell him and to interrupt what he's doing and say, hey, your family's here. And when Jesus was told that his family was waiting, he didn't say, sorry, folks, that's all. Have a great day. I'll be here tomorrow. You know the rule, God first, family second, work third, right? Now, what did he do? He continued teaching. In that moment, he was called to do work and he remained faithfully focused to the work that God called him to do. Conversely, when he was with his family and friends, this is why you don't teach absolute things that aren't biblical. When he's with his family and friends, he was fully focused on them. Let me show you a passage that proves this. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. They went out from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anybody to know. Verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill me. And when he is killed, after three days he'll rise up. Why did he not want anybody else to know? He didn't want the crowd. He didn't want everybody else there. This was an intimate moment with his disciples, with the people whom he loved, and he was setting aside time to be alone with them. Once his work was done, what did Jesus do? Made known the fact where he was, and guess who came? All the people. So what do we take away from this? Well, we already learned that we have to start with the Word of God. we got to be in the Word of God. we got to know what the Word of God says. Second, we need to learn to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We need to learn to say yes to things that are priorities and no to things that are not priorities. By the way, things for God should always be a priority for the Christian. He's, he should be first for the glory of God and the good of others. Number three, we got to get alone sometime and get away from the noise. Descent from the kingdom noise. Jesus got alone. We saw that in the passage this morning. We need to prioritize our yeses. We need to prioritize the things that actually matter in life. The things that God actually wills us to do. The things that are actually going to benefit other people. And then number five, we got to accept the fact that you can only be in one place at one time. And in that place and that time, you maximize what you can do for the glory of God. Now, it's hard to prioritize and focus on what's most important when there are so many things coming at us today, right? How many of you can already felt your phone like buzz a hundred times? It's a text message. It's an email. It's, a, it's a, a DM or a PM or whatever. You know, we're constantly being pulled and tugged at for our time, our attention. That's why we need to emphasize one thing again. Jesus offers us peace before we can do anything. Look at that list on this, that was just on the screen. Does not gain you a single thing of merit with God. Do you know that? Not a single thing on that list there gains you merit with God. All those things that are on that screen are for you, not God. Because let's go back to principle number one. Go ahead and jump the slide back forward again. Jesus offers you peace before you can do what? He gave you peace when he called you. He gave you peace with him 
when you got saved. So now the things that you do because you're saved are motivated for one purpose and one purpose only. Remember, what is our main purpose in life? Why are we here? Why are we created? Well, we were created for the glory of God and the good of others. This is the whole meaning of the Christian life. If, if the second you interject yourself into the equation with yourself as the object, as many are teaching today in pulpits and churches, even in our own town, in our own state, in our own country, the second you interject yourself as the primary recipient of God's stuff, you will never do anything for anybody else. Because you're going to ask one question. What's in it for me? And you know what? You are the most selfish person you know. So am I. I like myself. Do you like yourself? Some of you are like, no, I really don't like myself. We all love ourselves. You know how I know that? Remember when Jesus gave the greatest commandments? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, right? And the second's like the first. Love your neighbor as? Hmm. What does God know about you before he ever created you? He knew one thing about every human being that would ever exist. They love themselves. So as you love yourself, turn that around, deal with that in my presence, take my peace, take my yoke, that's not burdensome, turn it around, and as you would serve yourself, serve others. Do it for others. And why do we do this? We do this because of the love that he demonstrated towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ glorified the Father and he did something for somebody else. What did he do? He glorified the Father in going to the cross. And what did the cross do for you? It gave unto you everlasting life. You see, we're not asking you to do anything that Jesus hasn't already done. God's not asking you to do anything that he himself was not willing to provide for you through his son. And this is why we worship the Son. This is why we sing glory to the Son. This is why we imitate the Son. Because of His love, we should want to redeem our time so that we can spend more time doing the will of the Lord. And what is the will of the Lord? For you to glorify Him and do good for others. Is that possible in your life? Is there some reprioritizing that needs to take place? Is there some reshuffling of priorities and things? You know what? WWJD was a big thing when I was younger. How many of you remember those days? Right? What would Joe DeVitro do? I love that bracelet. Because I could walk around and share with everybody exactly what I would do. But that wasn't what I, I was later told that's not what that meant. I thought, thought that's what it meant. What would Jesus do? Right? What would Jesus do? You know, how many times do we project that Jesus would do something he would never do? How many times would we justify actions that Jesus would never have done? So if we really want to WWJD it, right? We need to know what Jesus did. We need to know how he did it and why he did it. Well, when it came to time management, Jesus understood a couple things. Number one, you can't please everybody. How many times do... 
there's this interesting thing in ministry I've learned over the 20 years I've been in ministry. It's kind of a passive aggressive thing. You might have seen it in ministry where people project that they want you to do something, but never actually tell you that that's what they want you to do. You ever seen that? You ever have that happen to you? You know, what does the Bible say? Let your yay be yay, your nay be. So when pastors don't respond to that, they get mad. They get mad at the pastor because he's actually being biblical and staying with the Bible rather than trying to entertain somebody that's not doing what the Bible says. And, and he gets in trouble for it. Or that person gets mad and begins to tell everybody in the world how bad the pastor is because, well, I tried to let him know and he's too dense to hear it. Or maybe he heard it and it wasn't the most important priority at the time because there was another church member going through something way worse than whatever that person was going through. Because pastors realize we can only be where? In one place at one time. And there's times I'm with my family and there's times I'm with you at the church. And I have no clue what's going on in my family's life. I don't know if Jacqueline's high or low right now. I don't even know what her numbers are. There's other people that are watching that right now because you're the primary focus of ministry right now. Later on today, I won't give a rip what you're doing because I'm going to be focused on what Jacqueline's doing or what Kennedy's doing or what Christie's doing or whatever is in front of you. Some of it will be some of you guys will be in my, my, my wheelhouse here at 4 o'clock. But we have to embrace the fact that we can only be in one place at one time. We can't please any, everybody. As a matter of fact, to even try to please everybody is disingenuous, isn't it? Do you please everybody? Do you have the power to please everybody? Do you have the power to make everybody in your life happy? Nope. Neither do I. But you know who does? Jesus Christ. The Father. The Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible tells us to cast all our cares on who? On Him. Who's Him? Christ. Jesus Christ. Cast all your care on Him because He what? And can He be everywhere all the time? And he, can he know everything about everybody? And does he have the power to change it? He's a lot better than other people. He's a lot better at doing what he said he'll do than people who can't do what God didn't create them to do. And nor should we. So let's learn to redeem our time. Are there times where spiritual things are important? Yeah. Is there times when family is important? Yeah, and I'm not saying you can't go to any family events. So if you said that, you're dumb and didn't listen, go watch it again. Okay? However, are there times that church should prioritize over family? Yes. Are there times that family prioritizes over church? Yes. Are there times that prayer supersedes my Bible reading? Yes. Are there times my Bible reading should supersede my prayer? Yeah, because I'm praying for stupid stuff, right? <laughs> and I'm not getting it. So I need to go back and learn what to ask for in the right way. But you know what? All these are practical outflows of two truths. Three truths. One, God gave you peace before anything he asked for you behaviorally. So your eternal security and your impression on God's presence has nothing to do with any of this stuff. You were saved, you were bought with a price, you were chosen before the foundation of the world, and at the moment you got saved, God gave you peace. Jesus is called what? The Prince of Peace. So you were given peace with God. You got peace with God. 
So then, what is your motivation to do anything spiritually? You recognize the love that God had for you. You recognize what Jesus Christ did for you. And because of what he did for you, you appreciate it. And as a child of God, as the Son glorified the Father, what should we want to do? We should want to bring glory to the Father. And the way that we glorify the Father is not by serving ourselves, because the second we serve ourselves, we stop glorifying God. But when we serve others, what happens? We bring glory to God. And the will of God is done through us, in us, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. How many of us want to please God? There it is. Give Him glory, serve others. That's the will of God for you. Let's pray. Father, help us to redeem our time. I pray, Father, that we would take the scriptures that we looked at today and that we would go back and we would reread these passages of scriptures and see Jesus had to choose between ministry and people. He had to choose between the people that he was presented with and the people that he could help, whether it was in a town healing people and then he had to leave town and go to a different town was getting alone with certain parts of his family and certain parts of the people he ministered to and spend time alone with them. That, Father, there are different seasons of time and management of time. And, Lord, we can look to your son Jesus as an example of how to manage our time. We need to prioritize the opportunities that have eternal life tied to them. And we can minimize, in some ways, the events and, and things that aren't going to bring you glory. And Father, there's nothing wrong with having fun and enjoying life and, and, and having things in this world. That's not the point of what we're talking about. It's about prioritizing the things that really matter for eternity. And Father, it is not your will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Lord, it wasn't your will that every person should be healed physically, because one day we're all going to die. Everybody Jesus healed eventually died. Even Lazarus, he got to do it twice. But Father, those that your son interacted with and he gave to them eternal life, they are forever saved and they are forever with Jesus Christ in heaven. And that's something that isn't undone. Just like every sick person that was healed eventually did die. No eternally healed person, no saved person ever has to worry about losing their salvation. So, Father, help us to prioritize our time on the things that were important to your son and the things that are important to you, Father. And, Lord, let our yes be yes. And let, our, let, our, let us find time to get alone, to be still and see that you are God and know that you are God. And Father, help us to be in the word, reading and studying your word so that we can know you in a more intimate and passionate way. And, Father, the outflow of that is going to be people who glorify you who bring you glory, and they serve other people. And Lord, when we get to that place, we are kingdom people ready to be used for the glory of God and for the will of God, both the will and to do of your good pleasure, and not consumers, not selfish, consuming of our own lust, but we're doing eternal things that bring you glory. Father, give us a church full of people like that. Change us into people like that. And Lord, if you do that, this whole, this whole area would be turned upside down for Jesus Christ. So Father, to you be the glory. Great things you have done. 
In your name we pray. All God's people said.